Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Let us listen to the words of the book of Hebrews together. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And, God permitting, we will do so. The word of the Lord. morning. Deanne and I were in Texas last weekend celebrating my mother-in-law's 80th birthday. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time. All my kids flew in and, and we celebrated her. Dee had some surprises for her on Friday and then we went and had a big family dinner Saturday night and it was just a great time. And the icing on the cake was I got to spend some quality time with my granddaughter. <laughs> and she is awesome. Um, and as I was holding Tabby, she, she looks exactly like Hannah did when Hannah was six months old. I mean, I, I should have brought two pictures and put them up so that and had you try to decide which was which because I can tell, but you probably couldn't because they are, I mean, they are spitting images. So as I was holding my granddaughter, I couldn't help but reminisce about um, Hannah when she was six months old. And I was thinking about, you know, my baby and all that. And, And then I had the thought, One of the most wonderful sounds I have ever heard is when Hannah, for the first time, said, Daddy. And if you're a parent, you you get that. The first time your son or your daughter says, Daddy or or Mommy, it's like, that's awesome. You know, you're just, you are just so pumped. This is an amazing moment. Hannah is now 25 years old. And If last weekend when I was with her, the only thing Hannah could say was daddy, that would no longer be awesome. If all she could say was daddy, that would be cause for concern. Because given 
maturation, she ought to be, you know, rocking it by age 25. She is rocking it, by the way. <laughs> but if all she could say was, Daddy, that would, that would be a problem. She would, have, she would have retardation or there would be a stunt, stunting of her growth that kept her from moving on. That's true in the physical. Don't you think it's true in the spiritual? You know, when, when people come to faith in Jesus, when they begin uh, as followers of Jesus, they are spiritual babies. Jesus said in John 3 that, that you are born again. And so when we come to faith, we are spiritual babies. And as spiritual babies, it's wonderful to say baby things with a baby voice. And just, it's, it's beautiful to hear daddy. But if you've been in the faith for a while and you're still just saying, Daddy, there's cause for concern. And that's where we are in the letter of Hebrews. See, this is the seventh week that we've been looking at this uh, New Testament book called Hebrews, which was a letter that was written to a, a group of Jewish Jesus followers. And as we've talked about through this book, the, uh, the author is, is encouraging these folks to, to move into this abundant life that Jesus has for them. But, but he's concerned, or, or she's concerned, the author is, is concerned that, that they're not getting the most out of life. They're not experiencing the best that God has to offer. They're settling um, for good enough. But good enough is not enough. God wants them to have the best. And so the author comes to this point in the letter and, and begins to challenge them a little bit, saying, you know what? You're still drinking milk, but by this time you ought to be on solid food. By this time you should be teaching others. You should be impacting others. The author says it's time to grow up. So let's look at this text that Stephanie read for us just a few moments ago. This is Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. It says, we have much to say about this. What is the this that he's talking about? Anybody here last week? Were you here last week? What did James preach about last week? Melchizedek. We have much to say about this. Melchizedek, the Melchizedekian priesthood, which James talked about. Um, the Melchizedekian priesthood was, was the, Jesus was a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me just quiz you a little bit. Uh, if in Israel, the high priests all came from the tribe of what? Levi. In order to be a high priest, you had to be a Levite, which poses a bit of a problem because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Okay. 
So how can Jesus be a high priest if he's from Judah and the high priests come from the Levites, specifically the firstborn there, Aaronic? So how can Jesus be a high priest? Simple. He's not a Levitical priest. He is a Melchizedekian priest. Okay. As James talked about last week, Melchizedek was the high priest in Genesis 14 that Abraham offered, um, gave offering to. And um, Melchizedek is, is said to be the high priest of God. And Melchizedek came before there were any such thing as a Levite. Right? Where else does Melchizedek show up in Scripture? Well, he's mentioned in the Psalms, but he doesn't show up anywhere. Melchizedek comes on the scene in Genesis 14, and poof, he's gone. David mentions him in Psalm 94, and then the author of the Hebrews talks about him at length in uh, chapter 7 of this, where he talks about that uh, Melchizedek had no uh, beginning of days, no end of days, no mother, no father. He, he is a forever priest. You see, in order to be a, a priest of the line of Melchizedek, you had to have one qualification. You had to be God. So the list is pretty short. You got Melchizedek and Jesus. And Melchizedek, uh, most scholars believe, is a, is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. We have much to say about this. You see, this is deep stuff. This is Theology 206, but the author says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. You're being lazy. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need to teach someone Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. He's saying at this point in your Christian life, people ought to be coming to you. They ought to be asking you questions about the faith. You ought to be encouraging them and teaching them. But you still don't understand the ABCs of faith that well. Friends, it's okay to be a baby if you're a baby. It's okay that Tabitha is still drinking milk. But if that's all Hannah was still drinking, that would be a problem. The author goes on in verse 12, says, You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, you, you not only can't understand the stuff about the Melchizedekian priesthood, but, but you still need the elementary truths taught to you again. So what are the elementary truths? What, what's the, the milk that they still need. Um, remember, the only, the only Bible that these folks had was the Old Testament. 
They didn't have the didactic teaching of Paul in Romans and Galatians. They, all they had was the Old Testament. But there are some elementary truths about Jesus that can be learned from the Old Testament. And the, the author lays them out here. How many of you have heard of the four spiritual laws? Okay, these are the six spiritual laws of the Old Testament. And the author lays them out in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. He says in verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. In other words, let's grow up. Not laying again, and here's the first spiritual law, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, or as the New American Standard puts it, the foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, you are not saved by your works. We learn that from the Old Testament. Works do not save you. The, the rituals that you go through, the, the, um, the laws that you keep, all that stuff does not save you. That's spiritual law number one. Spiritual law number two, end of verse one, um, and of faith in God. We know from Genesis 15 that Abraham was saved by what? Faith. Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. It's Old Testament. You are not saved by works. You are saved by faith. Spiritual law number three, instruction about cleansing rites. What's he talking about? In the Old Testament, there were these ritual washings that represented cleansing. And so the spiritual law number three is, so you repent from your dead works, you put faith in God, and when you do that, you are cleansed. You don't need to be washed anymore. Number four, from verse two, the laying on of hands. Um, what, what does it mean, laying on of hands? That's the imputation of sin. In the Old Testament, when the priest would, before a priest would sacrifice an animal, the priest would lay his hands on that animal and impute the sin of the nation so that the, the, the animal would then be led away and sacrificed for the sin of the nation. What did John call Jesus? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, there's the, the laying on of hands, the imputation of sin is now on Jesus. He takes on our sin and we receive his righteousness. You repent from your dead works um, you put faith in God, therefore you are cleansed because your sin has been imputed to Christ and you receive his righteousness. And that leads to laws five and six. There is then resurrection from the, from the dead and escape from eternal judgment. Those are the six spiritual laws that these Hebrews would have been able to know from the Old Testament. These are the elementary truths. Works don't save you. Faith does. It cleanses you as your sin is imputed to Christ, which makes you righteous and enables you to be resurrected from the dead and escape eternal judgment. Those are the basic truths. And, and these folks apparently didn't get it. So the author says in verse 12, we need to teach you these basics again. Now, the problem is not being taught the basics. We need to be taught the basics. The problem is the word again. 
So do you get all the elementary truths? Do you get them? Do you know them? Be careful how you answer. I'm serious. Because if you know them, then it's time to move on. It's time to grow up. We can't keep going back there. We got to get it and move on. When I was with Young Life, we had a, we had a high school senior uh, come live with us, a guy named Mark. And um, Mark was, well, he was a headbanger. You know what a headbanger is? People still use that term? Head, no? Okay, so if you don't use the term headbanger, what is somebody who's into heavy metal music? A metalhead. Okay, so he was a metalhead. Uh, can you call heavy metal music? Is that? Uh, anyway, so he was into heavy metal. He wore black all the time. He had long, you know, crazy hair. He was goth before there was goth. Um, so he was living with us, and one of our leaders named Steve uh, hung out with him a lot and, and actually led him to Christ. And then Steve started meeting with him every week, teaching him the elementary truths of the faith, helping him to get grounded in what was true about Jesus. And because he lived with us, I had opportunity to, to talk with him about some of those things as well and, and kind of press them into him. But then toward the end of his senior year, he stopped meeting with Steve. And then he graduated, and, and he just kind of disappeared. Well, fast forward a few years, and Dee and I moved to New York, and, and I'm at the church one day, and I get this call from, you know, blast from the past. Mark is calling me. And he's struggling with this and struggling with that and you know life sucks and blah 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 and and I so I had to take him back to the elementary truth I said well you know we talked about this and if you want to step into the life that God has for you here are the things that you need to do and oh yeah yeah okay well two years later I get another phone call this girl is that and my job is this and that, you know same old, same old. And I had to go back to the elementary truth again. And I, and I wanted to just jump through the phone and just shake him. You know? I called him about six months after just to check up on him. And, and he was still in the same place. Friends, God wants us to step into this abundant life that he has for us. This better than good enough. But to do that, we got to move on. To do that, we can't just stay in this place where Jesus loves me. We got to move on. He says in verse 13 anyone who lives on milk, meaning the basics of the gospel, being still an infant, and we're going to talk about that word, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That word acquainted is the Greek word aperios, and it means without experience. 
why is it that my granddaughter, Tabby, is still drinking breast milk? Because she's six months old and her system is not experienced in um, steak and lobster. It can't assimilate it. And not to mention the fact she doesn't have any teeth yet, but that's beside the point. In the same way, a baby is not experienced in the word of righteousness. You can't put heavy stuff on them. They, they, can't, they can't really understand it and obey it. That's why you give them milk. And the phrase here that's translated the training about righteousness is the Greek phrase logo dikaiosune, which literally means the word of righteousness. It is synonymous with the Bible. And see, the scriptures are the standard for life. The, the, the righteous man or woman is going to read the scriptures and search the scriptures and try to live by the scriptures because when you do that, you step into this abundant life that Jesus came to give us. The Bible is not just brain food. The Bible is, the, is, is life food. It is, it is a word that penetrates us and it changes us and, and enables us uh, to live the life that Jesus has for us. This author says that people who don't live by the word are infants. And as I said before, it's okay to be a baby if you are one. But if not, the key words of this text are, you need to be taught again, or by this time, you should know. Now, just so we're clear on what an infant is, biblically speaking, let me show you three other texts very quickly. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. It says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, by the scriptures, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, that's the same Greek word that is translated infant, in Hebrews 5. Because you have the law in the scriptures, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. What Paul is saying to the Romans is, because they had the word of God, the word of righteousness, their job was to take infants, um, immature people who are living in the dark, and to show them the light of who God is and the life that God has them as God has communicated it to us through the scriptures. In context, what an infant is, according to Romans 2, is somebody who's not living in the light of God, who's not, who, who's, who's not conformed to what God's word says abundant life is, but they're still trying to live according to the ways of the world. Here's another passage, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be what? Infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. According to Ephesians 4, an infant is someone who just, whatever new thought comes along, they're with it. Their new psychological trend, I'm, oh, that sounds good. New philosophical, oh, I'm going this way. They're just all over the map. They don't, they're not rooted. They're not standing firm in the truth of God's word. One more. 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? See, infants... Are, are worldly. They're, they're people who have not yet been changed. So do you see what, from the New Testament, what, biblically, what, a, what an infant is? An infant is somebody who doesn't really know the Word. They don't really understand the Word. They don't apply the Word. They don't, they don't let they're not rooted in it and established in it so that it changes them so that they're living according to it. They're still being tossed and they're still swayed by what the world thinks and does. That's what an infant is and that's what this author is referring to. The difference between an infant and a mature person in Christ is not simply what you know but it's what you do. See, it's the difference between verse 13 where it says not experienced and verse 14 where it says trained. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. Remember when you were a, when you were a kid and you were trying to act grown up? Anybody do that? So, so what, are the, what do girls do when they're trying to act grown up? They go into mom's closet, they put on the high heels, right? They put on the pearls. Maybe they go in and they, you know, put on lipstick. They try to deal with the externals. When, if you're a guy, you know, you go and sit behind the wheel of dad's car or, or you know, when you're talking to girls, you lower your voice because <laughs> when, when I was in youth choir, I, I, actually tried to sing bass because I thought it would make me more manly. Um, I've never been a bass in my life. But, but that's what you do. You, you do the externals. We do that in the Christian community all the time. Trying to put on airs of maturity. Am I mature? Yeah. Have you been in my office? Have you seen my books? 
I mean, I got my commentaries, I got my theology books, I got my spiritual living over here, I've got my Christian leadership. Have you seen it? I am mature. The other day, I was just having my quiet time in Habakkuk. <laughs> A lot of good stuff in Habakkuk. You know, I, 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 I was hanging out the other day with Timmy. You know, Tim Keller, uh, good friend of mine. Got a call from Gordo, Gordon McDonald, you know. We go way back. Yeah, I'm mature. See, we, we do all of that external stuff. But that doesn't mean you're mature. Mature is a changed life. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. A mature person can discern between good and evil. Um, He or she can take a Bible and say, this is right and this is wrong. Romans 2, a mature person replaces the lie of the world with the truth of God. Ephesians 4, a mature person stands on um, the truth of God and is not swayed. First uh, Corinthians 3, a, a mature person lives according to the way God would have them to live. Bottom line, a mature person is someone who does the truth of what God's word says. And this verse says, by constant, who by constant use. The Greek word is hexus, and it means habit or practice. When you, when you are learning a new computer program, you don't just read a, a book on it and then sit down and, and do it, right? You got you to gotta practice using it. Deanne recently uh, switched from PC to Mac, and she's still trying to figure out, you know, but it's not, it doesn't come from reading a book. It comes from doing it. When you get a new job, they don't just hand you a job description and, and expect you to knock it out of the park from the beginning. They want you to practice and train so that you get better and better and so eventually you're able to do it well. What is a mature person? It is a person who takes the word of God, sees what is right, does it, and then does it so often that he or she becomes trained in right living. An infant is inexperienced. A mature person is changed. See, the evidence of Christian maturity is not what you know. It is what you are becoming. It is where you are in regard to likeness of the Savior. I don't know which translation of the Bible you are um, accustomed to using. I'm most familiar with the New International Version. And the editors that put the NIV together, they, they, they sectioned off the book of Hebrews, as they do, and they give it some you know, headings for each section. And this section starts in 5.11 and ends in 6.12. And the section heading says, Warning Against Falling Away. And I think they got it right. 
Because in 5.11, the author has this challenge to say, don't be lazy. You've stopped trying to understand. Don't be lazy. And then he ends in 6.12 by saying, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And the preceding verses in chapter 6 give an example of a person who has all the externals, but there's no real life change. What this text is meant to do is not to cause Christians who love the Savior to question their faith, but it is meant to shake up those of us who are lethargic in our faith. So here's a question for you. Will any of us reach absolute maturity? Joel says no. How many agree with Joel? Okay. Not while we're on this planet. Not until we are face to face with Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pressing forward. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on toward maturity because because as the more I look like Jesus, the more I experience the abundant life that he came to give me. Some of us love the Savior and are pursuing him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some of us are in the solid food of the word. We are being trained by it through constant use, as chapter 5, verse 14 says. But some of us, if we're honest, we know that we're just going through the motions. We show up on Sunday sometimes when there's not a parade that we have to navigate around. We read our Bible sometimes when there's nothing good on television. We pray sometimes. You know, if I'm really in a bind and I need God to help me out. But by and large, with regard to the faith, There are some of us who, while we have named the name of Jesus years ago, we are still saying, Daddy. What this text is saying is don't be lazy, but grow up. Grow up into the truth of how God's word calls you to live. As the author said in 6.1, go on to maturity. What does it mean to go into maturity? It means that you don't just hear the word on Sunday, but you look for ways to apply it every day in your life. Maturity means that your decisions are not based on circumstance or what is expedient, but they are based on what is right 
according to the word of God. Maturity means that you don't sleepwalk through your faith, but you replace the lie of this world with the truth of God and you live by it as best as you can. One of the core values of our church is being doers of the word. When, when you walk in on Sunday mornings, there, uh, there are those banners in the narthex and I hope you pay attention to those because on, on, I think it's on this side, has our core values. And one of them is being doers of the word. That's what maturity is all about. And that's one of the things that we strive for in this church. As Jesus' brother James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but be doers of it. That's what maturity looks like. And that's what we need to move forward into. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that, um, well, that you modeled for us what an abundant life looks like. And that we don't, we don't have to um, listen to the world and, and, and try to figure it out, but we have a guidebook that shows us how to experience the abundant life. So, Lord, I, I pray that all of us here this morning, as, as we say we get it with the elementary truths, then, Lord, I pray that we would move on. I pray that we wouldn't stay in that place, but that we would grow up into mature followers of Jesus who who experience the abundant life and reflect that abundant life to the world. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the life that that gives us. And as we celebrate you this morning, Jesus, um, let your life be an inspiration for ours. In Jesus' name, amen.